Welcome to the Business of Design podcast. I'm Cheryl Horan, Director of Operations for Business of Design. This week, we're giving Kimberly a bit of a break and handing things over to longtime Business of Design member and Australian designer Jody Carter. Jody has been running her own design firm for 18 years, serving clients all over Sydney, Australia, specializing in renovation and design build projects. In this episode, Jody interviews one of her go-to suppliers, Shelley Boyd of Boyd Blue, to gain a deeper understanding of and learn the global story behind the luxury furniture her high-end clients love. This conversation teaches us that building relationships with your suppliers is key because the support and expertise they can provide you with is invaluable. Understanding high-end artisan furniture allows you to educate clients on where it comes from, how it is made, and the benefits of buying handcrafted quality goods versus the readily available alternatives. Before I hand things over to Jody, I want to invite you to join us for the next BOD Live member meeting. We're getting back to basics with an open discussion about the BOD 15. That's Business of Design's 15-step project management strategy. This topic is not just for new BOD members. Everyone can use a refresher from time to time. We're always surprised by the questions we get from longtime members. If you're not yet a member and are thinking about joining, this is a great first meeting to attend. Come prepared with your questions, be ready to offer expertise, experiences, and show support for your fellow members. BOD Live is coming up on Wednesday, July 21st at 9 p.m. EST. That's right, we're doing another evening time slot for our North American members in order to accommodate our Australian members, including Jody who will be joining us during business hours on Thursday, July 22nd. So please make sure you check your local time in advance and mark your calendar accordingly. We are so grateful to have BOD members around the world and so many join us live in the middle of the night in order to accommodate these um, BOD live meetings. So every few months we do like to mix things up and do a different time slot to accommodate them. So complete details are on the website. And again, please check your local time uh, before marking your calendar so that you don't miss out. And now over to Jody. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Business of Design podcast with Kimberly Selden. Business of Design is the world's best business training for interior design professionals like you. We have the systems, strategies, and protocols you need to consistently satisfy clients, increase profitability, and run your projects like a boss. Unlike traditional coaching, BOD is a fast track to immediate results. Don't try to do this alone. Join today and you'll have access to hundreds of targeted training modules, plus member perks like BOD Live events, member-only podcasts, preferred pricing, and the support of an engaged community of peers. We all know design matters. At Business of Design, we think designers matter too. Okay, so hi everybody. Uh, my name is Jodie Carter. I'm an interior designer in Sydney, Australia. And Cheryl's asked me to take over the mic for one of the BOD podcasts. So I wanted to introduce you to Shelley Boyd, who is the founder and director of Boyd Blue in Australia. 
So for those of you that don't know, Boyd Blue is one of our premier wholesale furniture and furnishing suppliers, and they've got beautiful showrooms in Queensland, Sydney and Melbourne, which are our main centres here in Australia. Shelley is a huge supporter of the interior design industry and is one of our biggest advocates. She does so much for the design community and I wanted to find out some more about her and why she does what she does. So I'd been Googling Shelley before I um, started to prepare the questions for the interview and everything I found said that she started selling fabrics to designers out of the boot of her car in 1999 and since then, she's built Boyd Blue into a Brisbane-based nationwide industry leader, servicing interior designers with an exclusive range of furniture, lighting, rugs, and mirrors. Uh, from my personal experience, I first found Boyd Blue about 10 years ago. Um, there was a small showroom that you had down a little laneway in Surrey Hills, and I think there was two parks out the front, and there was always a jostle to get a parking spot. Um, the floor was all uneven concrete, and I think I remember that because I probably tripped over um, because I'm clumsy. <laughs> um, and I remember it leaking when it rained, and there was buckets everywhere. Oh, um, but it was cute. Um, I met Georgia then who was your right hand and, and she's still with you and still your right hand, um, has been with you ever since. So I've seen personally how much you've grown in Sydney and I'm always very proud to bring my clients to your showroom and I have complete faith in your products. Um, as you've grown to now, you're importing Arterias and Palachik, um, which Kimberly's American listeners would all know. And you support Australian-made furniture and a curated range of really beautiful artisan pieces from some of the world's more exotic destinations. So let's find out some more about Shelley. <laughs> uh, prior to 1999, where were you and what brought you to be selling fabrics out of the boot of your car? Well, thanks for that great intro. Um, <laughs> You're Yes, I was born in New Zealand, actually, um, and I I grew up there, lived there with my parents and my sister. We were pretty lucky. We got to travel the world when I was sort of a young teenager, and my all of my family, um, except for my parents, were involved in the fashion industry. So I had a, a lot of creatives um, in my life, and um, I always knew that I was going to end up in some sort of creative industry. So I attended Wellington Polytech and did a fashion design and textile design course for a couple of years. And then after that, I moved to the UK to get experience. Um, I landed an amazing job with a, an interior designer, which I hadn't intended on. I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I just had this passion for fabrics and it seemed to be the right fit. So um, Anne Rossiter was the owner of a sort of a mini, quite high-end um, department store in Bath. And I moved to Bath um, for that job. And I was her right hand, basically. I learned, um, I think one of the first jobs she gave me was to learn how to make tiebacks from, um, gosh, what was it called? Buckram, like a horse sort of hair. Yeah, it was really difficult. And I had to hand sew, learn how to hand sew curtains and do all the very basics so um, it was good training and I really I think that training really made me understand what you as you know interior designers go through mm. and the amount of knowledge that you need so I'm always in awe I mean I quickly realized I didn't want to be an interior designer dealing with um, 
you know, Mr. and Mrs. Whoever, I didn't really enjoy that. I prefer to deal with professionals. Mm-hmm. So, um, so one of the sales reps who was calling on me at the time, and we're still great mates, um, a lady by the name of Kim Dicker, she was working for one of the fabric wholesale companies. And she told me about an opening that they had um, and she put me forward and I got the job. So I started as a sales rep, racing all over the UK, Scotland, Ireland, Wales, um, selling fabrics and wallpapers to decorators and designers. So it was a really great um, learning curve for me. And I did really, really well. And, Mm. I mean, I, you know, I just, I absolutely thrived on it. So that was sort of my... I suppose how I started, um, you know, how I got a taste for selling to interior designers, and I've never looked back. I mean, from that point on, I've always always done that. Okay. So, yeah, and then I, I moved back to Australia because in the interim, whilst I was living in the UK, my parents were sort of semi-retired to the Gold Coast. Um, although, you know, they didn't retire. They they were chasing the warmer climate and um, then they started renovating and selling or flipping houses. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, you know, on my way back to New Zealand, um, when my work visa was up, I came back to Australia to see them and I landed another job as a sales rep working for a company in Brisbane called Trentex Agencies. Okay. And I met many of my clients that I still you know, have a really lovely relationship with today and a friendship. And over the years, I mean, that's one of the highlights of our industry. It is um, very much, you know, there is a lot of loyalty there and, you know, we're very connected. And I'm, you know, I've got clients who have been clients of mine for 30 years. That's fabulous. So good. And then what made you want to start Boyd Blue? How did you start Boyd Blue? Well, I suppose just a culmination of all of that, you know, all of that experience. Um, I mean, I, I the, after that stint in Brisbane, I, I did move back to New Zealand and I was actually working for a company called Smith Uren. Um, so I had a, an amazing experience where I was representing the, the mills, the textile mills, uh-huh. selling to the likes of the big fabric wholesalers like Warwick Fabrics and Mocum Textiles and Unique, James mm-hmm. Dunlop. Um, and uh, you know, I became friends with those people. And then when I just did decide to move back to Australia, I actually approached Unique Fabrics and and I started there, you know, I bought their samples over over the, you know, um, over to Australia and I started a showroom for them in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. And then um, I had another stint. So I worked for them for quite a while and then I had another stint opening a showroom for a Melbourne company in Brisbane. So I opened a showroom called Wilbro Fabrics, which was like an over a hundred year old textile um, company specializing in upholsteries. And then, you know, one day my dad had a heart attack and he needed my help. So I I pretty much resigned my job and moved into the family business, (laughs) which I haven't told you. No. Um, Okay. This is new. What's the family business? (laughs) Well, it was, was, my dad was a sore doctor. So being from New Zealand, he was always in the timber industry. And so he had a sore sharpening business and he would be, um, he had a big team. Um, Hmm. I think they had, you know, close to 30 staff. And so I came in uh, with my sister and we managed that business Oh and um, yeah. I did it. I did it just for a very brief time, just to help my mum and dad. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when I thought, well, I can't go back and work for anybody else now. So I started yeah. Boyd Blue. 
Wow. See, they should have said that and um, all these sort of write-ups about you. But, yeah, she was selling fabrics out of the boot of her car far out. Okay. So tell me now from the heart, why do you do what you do? I, I don't know if I can really put it into exact articulate, you know, articulate it in, in words. Um, I just truly love beautiful quality. Um, I, when I started Boyd Blue, I wanted to be a one-stop shop. I, you know, I always loved fabrics, but I just love beautiful things. And um, I've always been a fan of uh, buying once, buying well, and I probably will say that a few times, so I hope that doesn't annoy you. But I am a big believer in, um, you know, I don't like to buy, I'm not a consumer, I'm not a huge consumer, and I like to sell good quality that is comfortable, that lasts, that's timeless. So I suppose, yeah, just really um, I also love working with creative people and, you know, I, I would have loved to have been a textile designer, but I'm, I haven't got that skill. I, you know, I did learn, that, I did learn it, but I, I wasn't yeah. that good at it. Um, so my, my passion was sort of taking the clever designs from people mm-hmm. and, and how to sell those. Yeah, and then you still get to see them and yeah, work yeah. with them on a yeah a daily basis or a regular basis. Um, so I'm surrounded by creative people, and I love that. Yeah, that's lovely. We love that. You love that <laughs> being creative. <laughs> um, okay, so what are the some of the choices that you've made that have made you who you are today? Well, definitely starting Boyd Blue. I mean, that's absolutely a given. I mean, it's. Um, I've always had a very strong work ethic and I've always had a goal to have my own business. Meeting my husband, you know, he's um, he's been a sort of a, a massive influence in my life. Um, mm-hmm. We're a really good team. Just opening opening showrooms, you know, I decided because I'm very ambitious mm-hmm. and very driven, I was going to have showrooms around Australia. So I did that. So I suppose that, that sort of made me who I am really. Talking about the design trade now, I guess, because you are um, such a supporter of us in the design trade, but what is the worst advice you see or hear given in the design trade? Oh, look, I just get really frustrated when designers um, are happy to purchase, you know, rubbish for their clients. You know, mm-hmm. a, lot of, a lot of designers are very focused on, um, on just, you know, quick fast solutions but I want everyone to slow down and and curate you know something for their clients homes and really educate their clients on you know if they're going to be spending money they should be putting it towards things that are timeless that are well made that are comfortable that are functional and you know that are not going to end up as landfill so I don't know if that's um so much advice but I you know I'm I preach what I practice you know Mm -hmm. I'm very much um I just, I just wish our designers would educate their clients more on mm-hmm. why they should be spending, you know, you know, I always say buy a sofa. It's going to last you. If you, de- if you buy a decent sofa, it's going to last you a, a, a lifetime, mm-hmm. you know. So invest, that's an investment. So don't be stingy. Buy something that's really well made, hopefully Australian made. Buy something that's really high quality that, you know, you get a decent fabric. It frustrates mm-hmm. me when designers specify an $18 a metre rubbishy fabric to go on a beautiful sofa. I just don't get it, you know. 
Yeah, and I just think low-cost, low-quality furniture may seem like a good idea at the time, but it is our planet that ends up footing the bill. Mm-hmm. We should be thinking about good quality products built to last a lifetime. You know, I personally have had our furniture for 17 years. Everything that is in my home is either, you know, something that I love. I mean, everything, I love everything. But mm. you know, I've had my sofas reupholstered three times because I can. Yes. Um, but, you know, they even if I didn't have them reupholstered, they would still be, they're still extremely well-made, extremely comfortable. Mm. It's just that I do have two pussy cats, and occasionally they, um, they're a bit naughty. <laughs> and, and yes, absolutely. So it's more, that's, yeah, rather than what is the worst advice you see or hear given, this is the best advice really is that we can buy once and buy well yeah I, or, or I just not really buy, yeah, so often but and buy well by quality yeah. I and just hate that we live in a fast throwaway society you know mm. it really it, you know especially I'm in um in quite a wealthy area in Melbourne and I've been doing a lot of walking mm. and people put the most amazing stuff out on the streets you know like the collection I found so much good stuff in collections on the side of the road. I, I furnished <laughs> homes with that stuff, in, you know, in, in the younger years. But I'm amazed at, yeah, the things that people will actually throw out. It's incredible. We are living in this throwaway society and we are buying some cheap and nasty mm. things. Obviously, we're competing with a lot of um, cheap imports and um, and not even cheap. A lot of this furniture that's coming in isn't isn't inexpensive. You know, some of it's very expensive. Mm. But do you really know what it, how it's made or, you know, where it's made or, you know, do you really know the backstory to it? So I like to educate our clients because we've put many, many years in um, researching. I don't just jump into a factory and start working with them. You know, I, I want to make sure that they are aligned with our values. You know, we're a family business. I only like dealing with family businesses. Um, we're not about just buying a, a piece of furniture in, in a box and sending it out. There's a whole story. We work with artisans. We work we want to know that there's no child labour. You know, I just think it's really sad that Australia is losing a lot of um, furniture manufacturing yeah. um, companies and I fought so hard to keep my upholstery business going but I actually succumbed to it earlier this year. I closed my upholstery business down just a couple of months ago after having it for 15 years. Mm-hmm. Um, I just couldn't make it work you know it's never really made a profit it's just always been a service that I've provided our clients mm. but fewer and fewer clients really appreciate what you know a, a lot of our designers are educated and they make a point of really educating themselves but a, yes. but a lot of clients um, they really don't see the the value which I think is really sad and I think we will lose the more and more of these businesses if designers don't really educate themselves more you know, right. you should you should know what's in that furniture and your clients trust you. So you need to trust where you're buying that product from. Absolutely. I completely agree. And that's where, you know, we can learn so much from suppliers like you who are going to those countries and getting to know your suppliers. And mm-hmm. you can tell us the stories and we can see where things have come from and then we see the value and we understand and we can pass that on to our clients. I mean, 
I guess there's always going to be some sort of a market for the low cost, um, you know, that Mr. and Mrs. or, you know, someone who's, um, you know, in university or just, you know, um, flatting. But Those clients wouldn't use an interior designer. No, so anybody right. that uses anybody that uses an interior designer has obviously got a budget you know yeah. they might they might not have a huge budget for furniture at the start but if a, mm. a, if it was if they if i was an interior designer and they were my client i would say you know just try and make do with what you've got until you're ready mm. financially to buy yeah. some good pieces that mm. warrant the design that you've given them mm. you know exactly yes absolutely absolutely i mean it's Definitely upholstery is definitely a sunset industry. It's an industry in decline, and I think that's everywhere. I'm I'm not sure yeah. about America, but I do I do definitely see that you know it's just getting so expensive to produce good quality furniture in Australia because our wages are so high. Mm, yeah. and raw materials are harder to come by. You know, everything's mm. going up. So yes. I just really would encourage designers to educate themselves and really try and support those local businesses so we don't lose them. Uh And they'll get much better interiors too if they do that because Uh if you've got those special pieces that aren't just the same old thing that you're seeing everywhere and you have the opportunity to personalise it for your clients with the different fabrics and, yeah, and the sizing... Big believer in upcycling as well, reupholstering. Mm. If it's a good quality piece of furniture, yes. don't throw it away. You know, a designer should be able to, up, you know, upgrade it with a beautiful fabric and an, a trim. And you know, we ha- we still employ a full time furniture polisher in our business, so that we can customize and offer bespoke finishes. Mm-hmm. That's Again, you know, that's good. something that's also in decline because we can't find anybody who they're, they're very hard to find. Yes, I know here in Sydney as well, there's only one company that I know of and they're all really quite old now. The, the actual guys that are in there, they should be retiring. They're in their, you know, uh, mid to late 60s. But And they've said to me too when I've been in there that we can't get young ones in here. They don't want to do it. They, you know, everyone else wants to the YouTube stars, which is very sad. <laughs> anyway, um, okay, so what can we do to promote this handcrafted furniture to, to our clients from the experience that you have and knowing what you know? Like how do we promote this? So, again, it just comes back to education. I mean, every piece that we sell at Boyd Blue is made by hand. All of our pieces are inspired by natural materials. Um, our raw materials are mostly um all from nature um, there is a story behind each piece nothing we if it's made by an artisan or a craftsperson then it's 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 a it's a unique piece so no two pieces will be exactly the same so I think um, when you're working with natural materials natural finishes um, often they are living finishes so educating your client you know if we're selling a, a brass finish you know that brass is going to potentially tarnish and you know not you know not badly but it will it will get better with age it will age beautifully and this is what we need to tell people we sell grass weave wallpaper you know we have it in our showroom so that people can see that there are, it's a hand woven natural material 
you know, it you will see the joins, you'll see the seams, there will be variations in the colour. It has knots in it from where they've tied the grass, you know, the actual fibre together. So this is all something that um, you as interior designers need, you need to educate yourself really and really uh-huh. be interested and go to industry events and um, you know, we are partner, you know, we're partners, aren't we, really, at yes. the end of the day. You can't deliver uh. your client's dream without suppliers like us. Uh. So you need to use our expertise and come in and be interested and learn and, uh. and dot your I's and cross your T's. And if you've got a client who absolutely doesn't understand artisanal-made product, then know that because you don't want them to have a piece of furniture that they are going to constantly complain about absolutely yes and I have had that experience as well because so many people expect it to be a a cookie cutter or um, it's made by you know in a factory and um, you know but these pieces are made by hand and they're made with love and yeah they, they want things to be perfect and yeah. yeah, there is no such thing as that in an artisan piece or in a um, yeah, something that is actually handmade. It's that's yeah. so true. You know, yeah. every piece is different, and you might like we we also just buy limited editions, so we don't do huge runs of anything. You know, we might buy twenty or thirty pieces of like a coffee table, for example, um, and they will all be slight variations of that original sample that we designed and mm. had made um, because there, there might be five or six different people making that you know each of those pieces yes. um, so it's a matter of um, you know if, if the dimensions say it's a you know one meter square or I don't actually know um, inches but uh you know, they, they may not all be exactly the same. And um, so it's, it's just up to the designer to really understand who they're buying product from, understand what their client's needs are. Uh-huh. And if the client is particularly fussy um, and wants everything cookie cutter, I definitely wouldn't be selling them artisanal products. No, no. And maybe they're not your client either because do you um, really want to be... Yeah, it put in that situation where the client is going to pick everything to pieces and which um, brings us back to some other experiences that you and I have had where um, if a designer is delivering pieces to their client one piece at a time rather than doing a turnkey and having everything arrive and doing a complete reveal um, then they get to just embrace the beauty of everything where at once and they can see the finished story whereas when we bring in a piece one piece at a time what do they do Shelley they pick it to pieces don't they absolutely and it's so frustrating because I've been to see, you know, and I'm the first to go and visit clients. You know, I, I'm so passionate. And if something's comes in, I, you know, we, we QC a hundred percent of everything that comes into our warehouse. Mm, Very few companies do that. Very few companies unpack every single item and go over it. So generally, if something goes out and there's a problem, I might be first to hear about it because, and I'm, and I will personally go to the client's home and look at it if I have to. That's because I, I'm so confident that what we send out is, you know, it's 
it is what it is. It is, you know, a handmade artisanal piece made from, you know, mm. vellum or marble or, you know, some beautiful natural finish. Yeah. And some some people just don't understand it. So if it if it's there sitting in a big empty house on its lonesome one mm. piece, that's um, asking for trouble. Absolutely, and that's why we should follow the BOD 15 steps and do it <laughs> the right way. Um, yeah, because I've been there and done that as well, S- similar sorts of things to what Kimberly has talked about. And, yeah, you have that one piece delivered and it's just a complete disaster. It's out of context and, and then they have that opportunity as well um, to actually go th- go over it like that, which is just not good. Um, okay, if you could take me to a country that would make me understand why you do what you do and and where most, you know, a majority of some of your pieces that you, you bring in, which which is, you know, one of your favourites and what would I see, what would I learn? Okay, so we only import from um, countries that have incredible artisans. So we, we love India, we love Indonesia and the Philippines. Um, they're our... They're the three main countries that we import from. But I would definitely take you to India. It is just the most incredible country and the people are so amazing. Um, there's so much colour, so much vibrancy. It's a real culture shock. Yes. I actually um, have been going to, I've been to India so many times and every time I go I just I fall more in love with the place. Um, what it, what blows me away is just how, you know, how how happy they all are you know how these little children see them playing in the street with very little seriously they could be playing with sticks and a a, you know rocks and just the most basics and they're laughing and they're having so much fun and then I come back here and I see how spoilt we all are and that we live in a bubble you know basically yeah it's sad isn't it I would take take you to India India. and and I'm sure that we will get there one day together and we have some really deep connections um, in India I've got some really great friends there um, suppliers who have been so loyal and supportive of me and my business and it works both ways you know we've really supported them and um, in turn you know we're making a lot of their workers lives better by supporting them and giving them you know I love it. I took a photographer, um, Shantanu Starak, to India a, a few years ago and, you know, I took our catalogue to show, you know, because the workers, a lot of our workers have, um, a lot of our factories have had the same workers for many, many years. You know, right. they're all part of their sort of extended family. Mm-hmm. And to show them our catalogue and to know that they're getting their photos taken and they're going to be, you know... <laughs> we're we're sharing their their story with our clients. Yeah. It's really lovely. Yeah, that's that's fabulous. That's so nice. So good. When the world opens up and things get back to normal, I think yeah, you should take a few yeah, of us. So many on a clients trip. have asked. Yeah, so many clients have asked me to do a trip. So yeah. um, you know, take them on an adventure. And I think I think definitely. Yeah. I'm at that stage now where I'm, I would love to do that. Now mm. that I've got such a good team and I've got so many in my, you know, we've, we're a big team, so I, yeah. can, I feel like I can take off and do things like that. And that would be such an incredible experience for some of, yeah, your, I'm probably not one of the higher, um, you know, buyers and it's dollar-wise. I will be, Jody. I will be, I will be. But to have... <laughs> 
um, that experience and to know exactly where everything is coming from and then be able to, as much as I tell them that um, my clients, you know, and it, try to explain that to have actually seen it, I think it would, yeah, that would just be amazing. So no, that's definitely when that happens, I'm, I'm up for it for sure. Okay. Um, so a couple more questions. Um, have you ever been told that you can't do something that made you more determined than ever? Well, yeah, my, my mum and dad didn't actually want me to start a business. I wanted to borrow $5,000. I didn't think that was very much money at the time, but um, okay. no, they, they've always pretty much said yes to everything, but they they wouldn't just, they did not want me to start a business. And so I had to prove them wrong. <laughs> um, so I think... You certainly you know, have, but... <laughs> Well, owning, I think their intention was good. I think owning your own business isn't for everyone. And I think mm. because they had owned lots of businesses over the years and I, I, I know that they had lots of highs and lots of lows. Yeah. And a lot of the time, you know, there's a lot of stress. And I think, you know, having um, my team, you know, turn up and work in beautiful showrooms and I don't think a lot of them really understand the whole back end of running a business and how much, you know, they get a, they get a lovely salary every, you know, every week they get the same pay packet and, mm. and yeah, they can come and they can switch off at the end of the day. But I think owning your own business can be very stressful and I've certainly seen a lot of that. It is absolutely my baby. And I, I see it with rose-coloured glasses so many times. And, I, you know, I have made some bad decisions in business because I am so in love with my business. Mm -hmm. I, I find it very, you know, my heart is really in this company. Yeah. And um, I do fall in love with the people in my business. And that sometimes, you know, makes it very difficult to make difficult decisions, you mm -hmm. know. But anyway, that's... Um, I, I can't change. I'm the sort of person I wear my heart on my sleeve. I'm very open, very honest, and um, and I am passionately in love with what I do. It just, it, you know, I wake up every day with a smile on my face because I do love it. Yes, that's just, that's fabulous. What is something you believe that other people think is crazy? My my team do think I'm a bit crazy because, you know, through COVID, I, I became the delivery driver. I jumped in the van and put the <laughs> uniform, the boyd blue cap and the T-shirt on and oh, drove to Sydney and Melbourne. <laughs> I wanted to see my team and that was the only way I could get a permit to do, you know, I couldn't yeah. fly down. So I had to drive down. Um, you know, and if, if we ever can't get a carrier to do something and the client needs something urgently, I'll just go and hire a truck and deliver it myself. So. It itself, which is absolutely fabulous because not a lot of business owners will do that sort of thing. Oh, what's the, the best or the most worthwhile investment you've made in your business? Oh, definitely good people. I mean, you know, I haven't always been successful. I've definitely made some mistakes over the time, you know. So, yeah, I can't always trust my judgment, but um, so I have been sucked in a few times. But, mm -hmm. you know, mostly I have employed some amazing people and I think um, I've also had, I've really invested heavily in, you know, where, where I've got weaknesses, like I, I'm not good with figures. So I spend, I spend a lot of time with my accountant and, um, 
you know, he's been with me holding my hand for many, many years mm. and has become a really good friend and supporter over the years. Um, I've had business coaches. So I, you know, I, I will invest in myself, um, educating myself and learning. I, I think we had a conversation not so long ago and I said, make sure you know how to read a profit and loss, you know, like really, yes. you know, really understand where mm. your business, what happens in your business. Mm. And, um, so, look, you can't grow a business without good people. Mm. And I've been very, very fortunate over the last 22 years to have employed some amazing people. And some of those people are still with me and continue to support me. And even if they've moved on to run their own business, we've become pretty good friends over the years or, you know, they're now clients. I really value those those people and I really, you know, I, I can't thank them enough because I couldn't have done it on my own. Do you have any quotes that you live your life by or that you think of often? Oh, look, I, I say it, I do say feel the fear and do it anyway. I'm a big risk taker. So sometimes if I get a bit nervous, I just think, no, go for it. Um, in the end, we only regret the chances we didn't take. Yes. My biggest thing is go hard or go home. I just can't stand it when people don't do a job properly. And I always say to my team, do a job properly or don't do it at all. You know? Yes, so true. Yes. I had a boss that and, was like that. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and I get really frustrated if I have to come in and, and fix something. But mm. yes, I, I also say if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. You know, that's one of my, my new sayings. I, I keep, I'm harping on it, my team at the moment, my management team. We need to measure everything. We need to make sure that, you know, um, yeah, because, I mean, we're, we're, we've invested heavily in, in our business and we want to make sure that, you know, all this digital marketing that we're spending money on, it's like all the PR that we're spending money on. How do, how do you measure it? You've got to know. Uh, you know, you've got to have measures in place to know that it's actually paying for itself. Mm, absolutely, because of those, it's a waste, isn't it? And you should be putting that into something else. But it's and so I true. hate waste. Yeah. I absolutely hate waste. You know, it mm. comes back to, I mean, yeah, there's, there's just so, there was a lot of waste in our business. And a, another bit of advice I would say is, you know, when things were going really brilliantly in my business, um, like we hadn't phenomenal year in 17 18 just incredible growth and we didn't I took my eye off the expenses and the business because you know and suddenly we were spending just so much people were flying around the country everyone was flying everywhere and yes. I wasn't really looking at the overheads and then suddenly you know at the end of the year we had this phenomenal turnover but we actually didn't make any money because our overheads had gone up so much, you know. Right. Mm -hmm. So that was a really big lesson. And now I look at line by line, you know. And I'm not stingy. I'll always spend money to make money, but I, I don't want to throw money away either. I don't want any waste in the business. Mm. And that's I've learnt or even just been speaking to you about these things over the last few weeks, actually. So I'm making some changes oh, myself as well because... Yeah, it's um, too easy to spend and it's not so easy to put thing, put something away or, to yeah, to manage where it's actually going and that what you say about the profit and loss too, that's something that um, I need to be much more aware of and know what's going on there too. None of us know everything and we mm. need to be continually investing in our own education and read. Like, I, I mean, I can't believe that you're a mum and, you manage all of you know your family duties, your business, four dogs. Is it four dogs? <laughs> four dogs and a cat. Did you see the cat walk past behind me? <laughs> and and you know, if you do all of that, 
you know, and I, I really do take my hat off to, to women who can juggle all of, you know, the family commitments and run a business. And you read so many books and listen to so many podcasts and you're investing in, you know, BOD and all of those co- online courses that you're doing. It is a credit to you, Jody, and you deserve to do really, really well. Oh, you're so kind. Thank you, Shelley. That's lovely. Okay, I've got two more questions for you. One of them was about a book because, you know, I love books. Um, but And what book or books do you recommend most to other people, whether or not that's something that, you, that you're reading or that you listen to as um, an audio book? I like autobiographies um, yeah. and I'm currently reading Michelle Obama's book, Becoming Michelle Obama, and I'm really enjoying it. Um, but for anyone wanting to grow their business, I really recommend Traction by Gino Wickman. Mm-hmm. And I know after listening to a few of the podcasts, um, Kimberly's podcast, a few people have come on and said that they follow that yes. advice and also uh, get a grip on your business by the same author, so Gino mm-hmm. Wickman. Traction offers um, pretty much a helping hand for anybody whose businesses are stuck at a point where know your hard work and your determination are no longer enough to sort of survive and grow and um I just really I think it's a great book it's really easy and I we've we have introduced about um so many new systems in our business since reading that book and I think we we're about 70% of the way there Uh um but it's all about you know how you talk about systems yes and just it removes a bit of frustration um, the system that Gino um, talks about is based on practical and proven experience rather than theory. Mm-hmm. And there's lots of tools and templates. And I just think it's a really good, um, I think it's a really good thing for our business. So I recommend it to other companies. And one of our clients in Sydney is actually implementing it at the moment. Excellent. So I've bought it, but I'm only about two or three chapters in but it's on the pile next to my bed with all the other millions of books that I'm trying to read as well (laughs) my last question I've really enjoyed our chat Um, but Kimberly likes to end every episode of her podcast with what she calls design intervention so um some and actionable advice you can give to listeners this is just from absolute experience Mm -hmm. managing burnout managing stress and managing mental health so important having a good healthy balance it's not easy especially when you're a workaholic like I am and you love what you do um but look I I had that's one of the reasons I asked my husband to come into the business because I I really was very close to having I don't want to call it a breakdown but it pretty much was you know I was just really at that point where I was exhausted and giving my business everything but not leaving anything for myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think we have to practice um, being kind to mm-hmm. to us, you know, patting ourselves on the back and celebrating those little wins when we get them, um, practicing positivity. And, you know, it's it's not easy but you have to be vulnerable. You know, I, as I said, I wear my heart on my sleeve but, look, I can't pretend when I'm struggling. Mm. I have to ask for help and I had to ask for help a couple of years ago because I was just very overwhelmed um the business was growing too quickly it was a bit out of control and I needed I needed some some help and some guidance and um and I pretty much was fully consumed with stress Mm -hmm. so I couldn't sleep so I would just say um really 
look after yourself and really be mindful and don't leave it too late um, to ask for help. Just act, you know, if things are getting slightly out of control, take a hold of it and do what you have to to get the help you need. That is great advice because so many of us, that happens, yeah, you get to that stage. And Kimberly's been through that too. She calls it. I was listening to one of her, another an older podcast the other day, Hitting the Wall, and, yeah, I know that feeling too. So thank you, Shelley, and I hope everyone's loved listening to your story and I hope they've all learned lots about you and your fabulous company. I just think we're, we're so, we're just, you and I are both so lucky to be doing something we really love to do, you know, and we're so lucky that we connect, you know, like this. Um, I've got so many gorgeous clients that have become friends and I absolutely consider you a friend now. And I mean, you know, you've been a client of ours for many years, but just really, really nice. It's nice to have those extended relationships that go beyond business. Absolutely. I wholeheartedly agree. Thank you for being part of the Business of Design community and supporting BOD's mission to improve the industry one design business at a time. It's time for you to take the next step and join Business of Design. Like thousands of design professionals in 50 countries around the world, you'll find the systems, strategies, and protocols you need to dramatically improve your business and transform your life. What are you waiting for? Start today.